Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks ever so much for joining me. My guest today is the Beaches lead singer... Jordan Miller, who spoke to me about her spark, the film True Romance. So I guess it's just going to be one of those smart guest, excellent topic episodes. Sorry if that's not your thing. Uh, Jordan is great. We both love this movie a lot, so it was a proper nerd fest. And that always makes me happy. So shall we just dive right in? Quick Jordan facts. Jordan Miller is a Canadian singer and musician who fronts the indie rock band The Beaches. Formed in Toronto while the members were in high school, their initial sugary punk pop sound coalesced into something tougher and more 70s-inspired as they released more singles. Their 2017 debut album Late Show made enough of a splash to win them a Juno Award. They took home another Juno in 2022 for the compilation album Sisters Not Twins, The Professional Lovers Album. In 2023, they released their sophomore album, Blame My Ex, which featured the viral hit, Blame Brett. Uh, I would say that you could catch them on tour through mid-March, but baby, if you ain't got tickets, you're probably shit out of luck, because almost the entire tour is sold out. They are popular. Quick True Romance Facts. True Romance is a romantic crime film directed by Tony Scott and written by Quentin Tarantino. It features an ensemble cast led by Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, with Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, and Christopher Walken in supporting roles. Slater and Arquette portray newlyweds on the run from the mafia after stealing a shipment of drugs. 
True Romance began life as an early script by Tarantino. He sold the screenplay in order to finance his debut feature film, Reservoir Dogs. It is regarded by proponents as a cross-section of writer Tarantino and director Scott's respective trademarks, including a Southern California setting, pop cultural references, and stylized violence punctuated by slow motion. Though initially a box office failure, the film has earned a cult following, and it has come to be considered one of Scott's best films and one of the best American films of the 1990s. And there you have it. Let's get to it. Here comes my chat with Jordan Miller about True Romance. Do you remember seeing True Romance for the first time or being turned on to it? Any of that stuff? I do. I have like very specific memories about it, actually, because I was I've always been a big Quentin Tarantino nut. I have a specific memory of watching it for the first time. So a little bit of context. I'm in a band. We're called The Beaches. And it was during our very first tour when I was in high school. I think I was 17 or 18 years old. I don't know how I was allowed to go on tour, but I was. I was allowed to leave for London for about two months, London, England. (laughs) And we were traveling across the country, across England. And we were in one of those sort of like shitty van sort of situations. Um, But it had a DVD player and my manager at the time only had three or four DVDs, one of which was True Romance. So she was perplexed that I had never heard of it before because, you know, as you know, Tarantino only wrote it. He didn't direct it. So I think that's why I slipped my mind. But I remember watching it and being like, oh, this is my favorite movie I've ever seen in my whole life. And yeah, Uh, it, it means a lot to me a lot of thoughts on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, that, that seems like a good, uh, place to start the fact that, you know, Quentin Tarantino wrote this, this was the first screenplay that he sold. Yeah. And it, you know, one of two screenplays that, yeah, like natural born killers. That's right. He wrote, and then it was very rewritten and didn't really, uh, wasn't really recognizable at the end. So let's just say this is the only screenplay that he produced that uh he did not direct i agree and it's so different it's so like i don't i don't actually (laughs) i do not consider the oliver stone one to be canon i know it did come from the same script but i i kind of hate that movie (laughs) and i love true romance but i yeah but yeah the the um i guess what, what i was uh in my rambling fashion leading towards was the difference with a different director taking taking the reins of a Tarantino script is it, like you can still feel that it has that uh, Tarantino stamp on it. Yeah. But it's so interesting seeing another director's take on one of his scripts. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that it makes like it's it's one of my favorite movies that he's ever been involved in. Yeah. And I also like to clarify, I'm, as much as I love Tarantino, like Tony Scott is probably my other favorite director, like or I might even like Tony Scott as a director more than Tarantino. So my two favorite movies are Tony Scott films. First is True Romance and the other one is Man on Fire. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie so much. But Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning. We um we my band is obsessed with that movie. I also love the original Top Gun. So this movie kind of encapsulates a lot of my faves. It also encapsulates a lot of a lot of my favorite genres. Like I love 
cheesy romance schlock, but I also love like incredibly violent mafia films and and heist movies. So mm-hmm. and I love character actors. Like there's there's really a lot that I admire and love in this film. But I feel like sometimes it was made just for me. Yeah, and I guess the the intersection of uh, of all those things like this kind of light romance, this really like ultra violence and this cast of like fucking incredible actors. It's ins- like I rewatched it um, uh, day before yesterday and everyone is in it. I think I knew I, I knew that all these people were in it, but it's just like mind boggling um, yeah. and all these people doing like one scene. It's it's incredible. And it's also just like the intersection of all these weird character actors. Like, did you do you ever think that you would see James Gandolfini and Brad Pitt acting in a scene together? Like, right. It's just insane. That's the one thing that comes to mind. I always forget Brad Pitt's in it. <laughs> Brad Pitt's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Floyd. <laughs> yeah. And both of those people uh were just at the start of their careers like you know brad pitt was not a superstar yet james gandolfini hadn't done the sopranos yet and actually this part led to him getting cast in the sopranos oh my god you can see it you can see it because it seems like it's tony soprano when you watch it like so i'd never seen the sopranos till i would always known about that that he was in that movie and then when i finally gave it a chance i was like oh my god it's like it's giving the character he plays in true romance because there's something kind of likable about that character it's so horrible for me to say this and i feel like maybe it's like so anti-feminist because that's such a brutal that scene with him and patricia arquette in particular is very very challenging to watch it's so violent and you're so afraid for her but there is something likable about him that I think it's that he wants her to keep fighting and that he kind of admires her. Like there's this sort of respect. It's so fucked up, obviously, because, you know, he's beating this poor woman to death. But there's something about that scene that really sticks with you where I think really that's where I think the film really sells Alabama as a character. It's just like this girl has got grit. This girl is not just like along for the ride. Like she's a survivor and she's been through something. Yeah. And Again, I attribute so much of this to the performances, but also the direction that the the way that the very Tarantino-esque dialogue and monologues are handled in this movie, the way that James Gandolfini plays that kind of sociopathic killer who's also kind of joking around and playing it light, it's similar to like Michael Madsen and Reservoir Dogs in the ear slicing scene kind of being like, you know, light. And he's like, we're having a good time, but he's doing these horrific things. But I think Tarantino's direction, the way he wants people to act in his films is a little more self-conscious and a little more knowing. It's like, here comes one of my classic monologues. (laughs) And those monologues exist in true romance, but it's brought down a little. And it's like, you know, lives in this place. I think Michael Madsen is amazing in uh, Reservoir Dogs, but James Gandolfini, it's so natural. And so the thing that makes it so horrific is that you kind of believe that he's just like laughing a little bit, even though he he knows exactly what's going to happen. And then you've got Patricia Arquette on the other end of it, just like, you know, that giggling and kind of like, oh, just trying to make light of it, even though she knows exactly what's about to happen. That's the horrifying thing. Just the two of them in that scene. Absolutely incredible. It's so good. It's. I think it's the best scene in the movie. 
It's a, there's, and there's a lot of scenes like that where both characters know what's going to happen. The other one I can think of that's the other really memorable scene is the one between Christopher Walken and, um, who play, whoever plays Christian Slater's dad. Dennis Hopper. Yes. Yes. Where they both know like that Dennis Hopper is going to die at the end of this because he's not going to give up his son's location. Mm-hmm. And for Dennis Hopper to kind of go out the way that he does, like, you you can feel the tension building like you're it's a classic tarantino monologue you're like oh where is this man going with this and then when it gets to the punchline about like the the racist sicilian thing knowing that it would bother them so much like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the other scene and it's the exact same thing like we're two characters there's like this thing in like I've I've heard about with screenwriting. It's it's called like what's the game of the scene, and I think like Tarantino's really good at that. Like what is the um where there's something beneath the surface, but two characters are doing something else. That's sort of a metaphor for um what the game of the scene is. Like I can think of Sex in the City example, but that's not what we're talking about. Today. <laughs> Slightly different, yeah. Slightly different, <laughs> but. I don't know where I was going with that. Sorry. Um, it's like we know what's going to happen. Like James Gandolfini has to attack her in order to try to find Clarence, and Christopher Walken has to either kill Dennis Hopper or or do something really violent to him. But you don't know that because it's there's not there's a little bit of violence or whatever in the beginning. But the way that those the the scary parts of those scenes aren't necessarily the violent acts it's like the tension that is that comes before them like the conversations that the two have Mm -hmm. yeah you know playing the subtext you have this conversation that's you know on 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 the surface even though it's clear that Dennis Hopper is trying to get a rise out of Christopher Walken, if you didn't know, didn't have the context of that situation and didn't understand the stakes, it would be like this light kind of uh jovial thing but the way they're both such skilled actors, it's 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 just crazy. And again, Tony Scott's direction. I think I read a, uh, something that was comparing Christopher Walken's role in this movie to his role in Pulp Fiction, which again is just like one scene in and out. And in Pulp Fiction, it's this, a similar kind of thing where he's like he's doing a monologue, and it's just you know one thing that's the standout moment in this film that you know he he just is not a, a big part of anything else that's going on but it's an important moment but with that it's like this monologue straight to camera and again it's like this is one of my trademark monologues here it comes and with Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken in uh True Romance there's subtlety and there's tension just like boiling under the surface and both of them just playing against the emotion. They're both like smiling and laughing and it's just so menacing. I don't think it would work if like the roles reflect because you've seen Dennis Hopper play the bad guy in other things. It's nice to see him playing like a bit of a heroic role in this because you've seen Christopher Walken, I think, play that because of his voice and his mannerisms. Like it would be interesting to hear him do the monologue, but I don't think it would have worked as well because like his goofy voice like in his it like it wouldn't the tension wouldn't be good like the the way he doesn't talk a lot about a lot in the scene and lets Dennis Hopper do all the talking but he just uses his eyes and is kind of like his smile that's so angry like it's just like you can see the fury behind <laughs> without saying anything like that's it's sort of that's not usually how most directors would use their Christopher Walken like most people would use him to be kind of goofy. So I love that they that he sort of plays against his type and that and it works so well. 
Yeah. And, you know, like you were saying, this is a, a pretty overtly racist scene as well. Really racist. You know, there, there's pretty overt racism sprinkled throughout this, which is, you know, another Tarantino trademark. Um, but an interesting thing. Um, I, I was also reading about Patricia Arquette's experience in this movie, and she's done interviews where she's kind of reflected on it and said at the time she had a lot of trouble with the fact that the character felt a little passive to her and it felt like she was getting on board with murder very quickly. And she talked to her acting teacher about it. And it's like this, her boyfriend comes back and says he has murdered her pimp. And instantly she's just like, that's so romantic. And she's like, that just doesn't, it feels weird to me that she's just suddenly saying, yes, killing people is great. And the way she reconciled it in her mind was that she thought this guy might kill her too. And she wanted to just push to the opposite extreme and say, I'm really happy that you've done this. And it, it makes me feel wonderful so that he would feel like she was on his side. And that just blew my mind. It's like such a, an interesting way to, to think about that dynamic. God. Yeah, it's true. Cause I appreciate that. Cause like there, th those are some of the moments I do. I like that she's so like child, like there, there there's that, that's what I find lovely about her character. Like when she, you know, one of my favorite moments is like when she says, you are so cool to, um, she gives him the little note and you're like, Oh, what's it going to say? Christian Slater's character. And it just says, you're so cool. And he sort of smiles at her. Now, knowing that that's something women do when you're, when you're afraid of somebody, like you, you build them up and you like affirm them. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting because that makes sense. She wouldn't have probably, unless, like the other way I looked at it was maybe Drexel was incredibly violent with her, but like, I think they say in the movie, she'd only been there for like a week or something. So yeah, it doesn't really make sense that she gets on board for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it makes sense in like a kooky quirin it makes sense in like a Tarantino universe thing if you're like Yeah, yeah. Have you heard the theory that all films in Tarantino's universe like are in a different violent universe parallel to ours like in the the separation point like is when Hitler is killed in Inglorious Bastards and after that like all of the other movies like take place in an extremely violent universe like that's why the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is different like so that's the other way I looked at it I'm like well maybe like this just makes sense in a violent world that they live in that like she would be on board and find this romantic because that's what Tarantino wants like if you get on board with that whole theory but I also did always wonder was she did seem to be a little overly eager about becoming a drug mule and a murderer <laughs> really fast. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like, it was just interesting to hear her concerns. I mean, she was very young and, you know, even though she came from an acting family, her career was really just starting. And I think like she is so skilled. She's such a sensitive actor and knowing that those thoughts were going through her mind and she was really trying to reconcile those things that she didn't quite understand. Um, also, a really fucked up thing uh, that I read is that in that scene with Jane Gandolfini, she was having trouble like flipping from the lightness at the beginning to the absolute terror when she he starts like hitting her. And Tony Scott said, oh, do you want me to help you? And she said, yes. And he slapped her and she was like, just was like, what is happening? She started crying and he's like, action um so that kind of shit no, definitely would not fly that's now horrible um, why why do these like really 
quote unquote brilliant directors feel like it's okay to terrorize when like you don't need to do that. Like there's other ways like consult an acting coach, consult. There are people that can get you to sort of pivot around those emotions to to get those feelings. Like I always think about poor Shelley Duvall in uh, The Shining too. Like the poor things a woman went through that irrevocably yeah. changed her for the rest of her life after filming that. Like it's not worth it. I know. I never had heard that story. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel bad about saying that this is my favorite movie. No, no, no. And I mean, like there are um, tons of great movies that have been created through really horrific means. Real, so this like, is, you know, yeah. not not in any way an outlier. And also, she did have good things to say about working with him, but it's like I don't think that uh, excuses the uh, absolutely not. I mean, yeah. Time for a quick break because somebody's got to keep the lights on around here. But we'll be right back. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think my my other favorite bits. Are we just talking about favorite moments of this movie? Is that how this usually works, or do, do we? Do that? Yeah. <laughs> let's let's carry on in this direction. I mean, you know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sweet. I have a fun story. So um, after I found out about after I discovered this was my quote unquote favorite movie when I was in LA a couple years later, the same manager took me to the Lost Velos three um, cinema where Quentin Tarantino used to go as a teenager and watch movies all all afternoon. And then he would cross the street and get a piece of pie after. So if you remember that scene where Clarence asks Alabama after the Sunny Sheba movies, if he, if she wants to get a piece of pie, cause he always likes to get a piece of pie after a movie and talk about it with someone. That's like from a real life thing that Tarantino did. And so I got to go do it when I was in LA. The pie shop and the theater are still there. I went and watched It Follows and then had pie with my band after. And talked about it that's amazing but i just thought that's a fun little bit of trivia yeah 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 i mean i guess like digging in a little bit more into your relationship with this like how do you feel like the you know the the film has kind of affected you as it kind of uh lingered in your mind do you think about it does it uh you know color anything about your work or other parts of your life yeah i think like I think also when it comes to my relationship with relationships and romance, I think I, I don't know if this movie like just struck a chord in me when I watched it or if it's just something that I've always had in me, but like I think I'm attracted to <laughs> sort of, um, intense romantic experiences like what Alabama and Clarence had. 
like I date, I date a lot, but when I fall in love with someone, I kind of tend to fall in love right away the way that they do. Mm. And, um, and intensely. And so I think that either, and I've, I've had to like really sit with that and think like, is there something wrong with me for thinking <laughs> this way? Like this obviously, this obviously isn't like the healthiest way to approach relationships. Maybe it's also cause I'm still like quite a young woman and this is something that I might grow out of at some point. But <laughs> yeah, like when I'm, I'm a songwriter. And so when I write about love songs or when I want to fall in love, like I often think like, I think back to this <laughs> because I think I kind of I'm in love with the idea of like finding your soulmate that way or just I don't know instantly meeting a guy that's smitten and that you would do anything for each other kind of vibe. like it's such a I don't even know but you can call it love it's more like a limerence thing but I kind of tend to do that in my own personal life and so the film really <laughs> resonates with me I'm like yeah of course move to Mexico after only knowing each other for two weeks and name your kid Elvis, like do all that stuff. Like all of it all just, um, I don't know. It moves me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you know, that is, it, it's like exaggerated, um, versions of that feeling. I mean, I guess some people might fall in love over a, a drug bust and murder, but it's probably not the most yeah. likely uh, or a common thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, again, just talking about the difference between the movies that Tarantino directed on of his own screenplays and this one, that Tony Scott has taken the kind of heavy grittiness that Tarantino would bring to a movie like this and that he has said he would have directed this movie so that it was in line with the other stuff that he's made. And Tony Scott, I read a review that said, this is a bright tiki bar of a movie. And to me, it's like kind of, you know, pastel colors. That that theme song that's kind of, you know, uh, xylophone or whatever. Hans Zimmer wrote that. It's somehow it's a it, he turns like a Tarantino film. It almost makes it like campy, which is like the other thing that I really love about it. Like it, there's it's sort of an exaggeration of everything. Yeah, it's the Howard Shore uh, xylophone music, like which doesn't go with anything, but it somehow works because it's the music. I think it's it's like wait, what's the difference between diegetic and non-diegetic like it's sort of like the music that i think it's supposed to symbolize like the two characters falling in love and so it's juxtaposed like that music to like the crazy you know crime and violence that's going around them like it does make sense and it just somehow works but yeah yeah i don't know <laughs> i wonder what tarantino's version would be like <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i, I mean, think it wouldn't be as good i don't think it would be as good <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it, he has said at least in the original screenplay, Clarence dies. And he said it makes sense in the way that Tony Scott directed the movie, that there's a happy ending. It wouldn't have been in keeping with the tone of the movie. But yeah, I think I think campy is is a, a good adjective. I mean, even the most some of the most horrific moments are, or the most violent moments, that shootout at the end is just like pure comedy. Oh, like so good. It, it is, you know, horrific things that are happening, but it's like almost slapstick. It's yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like, how did they it, it escalated so fast, right? Like they <laughs> it, it's just sort of like male hubris, like I think is what they're which 
if you watch other Tony Scott movies, there's other shootouts that also sometimes feel like that. But that one just seems really funny. Like the funniest part is the guy in the ponytail. That's just like, I think he's the bodyguard for the producer. Mm-hmm. And the producer is like dead at this point. But he's still alive and is tr- doing a shootout with the cops and with the gangsters. And I'm like, what's in it for you at this point? Why are you still participating in this? Yeah, seriously. But if you're just like, oh, this is just a fun shootout, violent, like... It, you don't have to think very deeply about it. It's just violent violence for like entertainment's sake. Like I love that too. It it works. It just works. Yeah. And there's you know whatever twenty twenty people in this room, and every single one of them gets shot except for Alabama and you know uh, Dick Michael Rappaport, the actor friend who just like books it out of the room and makes a run for it. That's right. That's right. I'm glad that he survived. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That was another thing that, you know, I think all of these people who are like sort of Tarantino avatars. I mean, he has said Clarence, there's a lot of autobiographical stuff in that obviously like working in, you know, he, I think he works in a record store instead of a video store. But that kind of thing where he's like letting I think him it's st- a comic book shop. Comic yeah, books. comic books. Yeah. Um, But that kind of stuff like the... And his obsession with Elvis and, you know, loving kung fu movies and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like there's a little bit of it in uh, Michael Rappaport as well that, um, you know, the kind of Hollywood guy, optimist, just wanting to make it in the industry and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I feel like Tarantino definitely had a neighbor like or or a roommate like Brad Pitt too. like that Mm -hmm. character just seems so lived. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. and also, like, I think in if Tarantino was directing it, he would probably play the Michael Rappaport character. Mm-hmm. He sort of sometimes likes to make little cameos in his films. And gosh, he's so perfectly cast in the Pulp Fiction movie where he just keeps the body in the garage and <laughs> right. is just sort of there for the fun of it. Like, that's sort of to me, like, where Michael Rappaport's character is. Like, he would probably be playing that role if he was directing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> gosh. Who's the who's the guy that plays the Elliot? Elliot's also so funny in this. And I, do, I haven't really seen him in any other movie. I don't know the guy's name. I know he was in a famous TV show that my parents watched because whenever I watched this film with them, they'd always be like, what's that guy doing in, in here? I think he played like an Eastern European guy mm-hmm. in a TV show. Or- so this is a whole thing. Uh, his The actor's name is Bronson Pinchot. And... He, the show you're talking about is Perfect Strangers, and it's like a guy named Larry, whose cousin, whose name is Balki Bartakamus, comes in, I'm, I think, from Greece. There it is. Yeah. He's a sheep, goat herder, sheep okay. herder, something like that. And so it's like this odd couple thing. Oh, no. Wild that it ever existed. Wild that it was on TV for multiple years. But there you go. <laughs> okay. He was also in Beverly Hills Cop. I think in the first one. He was? Yeah. Okay. Did he also play like a sort of schmarzy like character? Like, cause I heard in, he plays sort of like a buffoon in the, the, as the Belky character, right? Yeah. Or I don't know. I, I actually don't know these shows. They're a little before my time. Yeah. He's, yeah. The, in Beverly Hills Cop, I think he, uh, like, works in a gallery or something and is showing people around and is supposed reads gay i don't think they ever say that he's specifically gay but definitely like you know doing an affectation of gayness and i can't think of anything else that he was ever in so 
that may uh sorry sorry if you're listening to this bronson pin show but uh sorry sorry yeah (laughs) (laughs) i did a great job in this movie that The scene where you get caught with a bunch of cocaine on your face by like, there's so many. The other thing people don't talk about with this film, I think, is how funny it is. Mm -hmm. That it's just like, it's just a bit of a thrill ride. And I don't think there's a lot of, there's a couple movies nowadays. Like, I guess you could argue that like the Marvel Cinematic Universe or anything like that Tom Cruise put out, puts out is like campy and like fun and energetic or even like the Fast and Furious franchise. But like, I can't really think of a lot of movies like this one that just feel like you kind of know what you're getting into. You know you're watching a movie, um, but you're along for the ride for like the fun of it. Like they're breaking the fourth wall almost like through the campiness. And it's mm-hmm. I think like the last time maybe maybe Barbie was like that for a little bit watching it, too. Like I felt moments of it were. There is mo- <laughs> look at me comparing Barbie to this film. <laughs> it's uh, we've established we'll a new genre um, so far. The uh, films that are included yeah. are True Romance and Barbie. Um, I I I am gonna yeah say that you know I don't have proof of this, but I'm gonna throw this out there. I think you are maybe the first person to uh, make that comparison, but probably because some people haven't haven't thought of it yet i see what you mean though it's and the color the the like color palette for both of those films is like feels similar to me like barbie is obviously a more exaggerated version of it but also that kind of bouncy tone there's not horrific violence in barbie but um you know still that it's, there's not it, horrific violence there's no violence in barbie yeah that is, that is true there's like no violence in barbie which is the point of the barbie movie it's like all supposed to be safe like there's no weapons in barbie mm-hmm. even when like the the guys are on the beach so we're talking about a whole different movie now <laughs> yeah yeah but you know there is overlap there but also like i don't i don't feel like when you watch this film it doesn't feel like a traditional thriller like i think when you watch even tarantino movies with violence there, there's always an element of fear there and i don't Maybe other than like the scenes with Alabama and James Gandolfini, maybe a little bit with Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken, you don't really, you're not afraid watching it. Like it's not, or at least I wasn't. Yeah. To me, it felt like more violence for the the sake of like exploitation or entertainment rather than like a traditional thriller, like watching, I don't know, something like Silence of the Lambs or, um, or another Tarantino movie, like Inglorious Bastards. Like there's... The violence in that movie, it feels more grounded in reality at certain points. Like, the, I mean, other than the, the ending of Inglorious Bastards, but, and I think that's what I love about it. Yeah. <laughs> that it, that it seems like I, I know I'm watching a film mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to, I'm not supposed to like take it as literally, you know? Right. Right. And even though, you know, the performances are very grounded, there's something a little, bouncy about the whole movie that uh just gives you it's a little something that you know and that bounciness is like you feel like all of the bumps you're gonna have a safe landing if i'm gonna labor this metaphor yes i know exactly it's like a roller it's like a roller coaster ride right Mm -hmm. like i know i'm gonna get to the other side there's still fear i'm still i'm still sometimes feeling like the lurch but i'm always cued in like i'm attached to something i'm i'm not actually falling to my death i am strapped in on this thing you know which is what i what i like yeah yes 
Um, I think a roller coaster ride is a lovely note on which to finish. This has been so fun. Thank you so much. Um, I haven't seen that movie in so long, so it was really good to have an excuse to watch it again. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. It was really fun to, uh, I didn't, thank you for giving me some context on some of the scenes <laughs> and stuff. It's going to give me a new appreciation for just <laughs> showing cat in this movie. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for having me. This is really cool. Thank you. That was great, right? Thanks again to Jordan for chatting with me. You can listen to The Beach's latest album, Blame My Ex, right now, wherever you listen to music. And let's be honest here, you can listen to their entire back catalog, too. Okay, quick spark of the week from me. The new Mr. and Mrs. Smith TV show on Amazon with Donald Glover and Maya Erskine is great. It is very loosely based on the Brad and Angelina movie of the same name, but it's a lot more substantial than that. Um, it is no less fun, though. It's just a little more story-driven. The movie was mostly running in explosions and shooting. Not that there's anything wrong with dumb, fun action, but uh, the TV show is a little more in my lane. Uh, the hilarious thing, though, is that the response from critics has been great, but the audience scores have been divided because there are lots of people posting reviews that are like, the movie was so cool and there was so much action, but the TV show is boring. There's like way too much talking. Hilarious. Anyway, check that out if you are so inclined. And that's about it this time around. Please follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Please rate the show five stars and leave me a glowing review wherever you can. And until next time, bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.